you know what? There are times when I really love being a Christian, which is good, isn't it? Because I'm the pastor. And, and I'm excited and blessed uh, by being with the family of God and us being together. And all that God can do and all the way the Lord can work in our lives. Thank you for coming this morning. Uh, if you haven't been in church for a long time, a big thank you. Great to see you. Welcome back. We have missed you, although for me sometimes I don't always know who's who unless you come and say hello to me at the front and let, you know, still people. I've been here four and a half years. They still say I've been attending, but I haven't said hello. What? Uh, You know, lovely to meet you. Big hug. Fantastic. Maybe you don't want that hug, but it's good to welcome you. We're beginning a whole series in the book of Ephesians. And if you are new to the faith, if you are walking a journey to discover the faith in Christ, then, then this series is going to be really amazing because it teaches you about the excitement and the dynamic of Christian life and the excitement and dynamic of all that God can do in the way that God can work in your life. I, uh, I've entitled this uh, God's Long Range Plan. And when we think about this, his long-range plan, it's about changing the way that we view and about changing the way that we view our world. I believe a lot of us need a change of view in our life and we need to start to look at things from a completely different angle in a completely different way. I want to tell you this, that God cares about your story. You may feel that your story is irrelevant and small and your story has no part. But I'm going to teach you this morning that God wants to change your view of where you're at, what you're going through and what you're facing. That God is so interested in you and your family, your struggles and your difficulties that God wants to change your view. This passage I'm going to be reading from and we're going to be exploring is based when the Apostle Paul, the great preacher of the Christian church, who wrote half of the New Testament, is now in prison. And yet he writes the most amazing things. And I would imagine that his view in prison is not very good at all. It's not good. He's looking there, he can see a Roman guard, he can see a wall, he maybe can lift up and look out the bars and see a bit of blue sky, but his view is not very good. This message is for you. If you feel in your life you're in a prison, this message is for you. If you feel as if you are struggling... This message is for you. If you've come in here dragging the kids, trying to get them in, you had an argument before you arrived at church with your husband and you wanted to headbutt him and, and you realise that actually, well, this message is definitely for you, okay? Because God wants to change our view. If you had a bad week and it's been tough, and you've had difficulties at work, difficulties at home. This message for you because God wants to change your view. And if you've come in and you're not a Christian, but you're listening to us, it's actually for you as well because there's nothing better than a good view, is there? When you change, when you understand that. I was walking along one day across the cliffs. And as I was walking along the cliffs, I was in Cornwall. As I was walking along, I noticed that down below, there was a lady who was now screaming, a young lady. She'd been, 
She'd been sunbathing. She was there with her, her bottle of Coke, with her radio. She was there with her beach towel. She was an outcrop of rocks. The tide had come in quickly, as it can often do here on the BC coast. And it came in quickly, and now she was completely trapped. And she was screaming, and she was yelling, and she was frantic, and the waves were starting to come in. And I could tell that she was in trouble, but there was nothing that I could do. A little crowd gathered on the side of the cliff. There was nothing that I could do. I had a great view of a terrible moment of this young lady in her bathing costume, panicking and screaming. By the way, I don't usually walk along cliffs looking down at people wearing bathing costumes, okay? But the event was, was, was happening and all of a sudden there was a panic in the air. But then there was a sound that I recognized and that sound was the sound of hope. And it was a helicopter that flew and, and it came above her. And as it hovered above her, she looked up and the door of the helicopter opened. And there stood a handsome young RAF fella. Well, her hair was blowing, she looked up, she looked down, she got her straighteners out and she started <laughs> straightening her hair and doing her makeup. But you know, when you've got a helicopter above you, that's impossible. The updraft, the static electricity, she may have been a pretty young lady, but her hair was straight up. And then he came down on that wire and as he came down on that wire and I stood back with now a large crowd of people watching a rescue of this young lady. He talked to her, he wrapped a harness around her and up she went into the helicopter and they flew off. Wow. They fell in love, got married and lived (laughs) ever after. Well, you say that's ridiculous, Phil. Well, it is because I made that bit up. But the rest is true. And I had the perfect view of the story. And from one idea, the story is just a story of a girl trapped on a rock who's in danger of dying and being rescued by Air Sea Rescue, the RAF, there in Cornwall. That's the story. But you know that the story's a lot bigger. You know that the RAF goes back... 120 years. You know that the development of a helicopter took amazing engineering and was a massive change in aviation history. You know that there would have been communications between rescue services to get them there. You know that she would have had to make some poor decisions to find herself on that rock and in that situation. You know that that RAF rescue pilot would have been amazingly trained over years, the pilot in that helicopter would have probably dreamed as a young child that he would be trained and would one day fly whirlybirds. He, he knew about this. It is a massive implication, but what we can see is that that little moment, that girl was rescued by a helicopter, but it's part of a big, massive story. See, it's a bit like that for us. 
In one sense, we are on the rock of life and the judgment is coming around us. There are pressures and waves all around our lives and yet somebody from above has come down into our world and has lifted us and has saved us and as Christians, God has brought life. He's brought joy. He's brought forgiveness. He has changed our lives, correct? But our little story of the rescue of our little rock is one part of a massive story of God's great story for the whole of humanity. I had a great view. Great view. But you know what? That view has to be looked at from a massive view, a large view. And what God wants to do and what is going on in Ephesians chapter 1 is that God And the way that Paul is writing, he is describing the change of view that he's in a prison cell, but he doesn't see the walls of his prison cell. He sees God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And when you see who God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit is, it really changes you. See... You and I, we're all affected by little moments and stories in our lives which are part of a big story, positively and negative. You know that. I went and filled up the car this morning just up the road here in Rutland and went there and chatted to the attendant and we were talking away and I noticed the amount that it was per litre, 93 cents point five. Wow, I will go home to Michelle and I will rejoice for the Lord. I will say, I can now afford to go skiing on Monday at Big White, thus saith the Lord. And I have the gas to get there. Fantastic. I can't believe it. It's so cheap. It's so wonderful. Isn't that wonderful, darling? It's going to save all of our our financial uh, pocketbook. It's going to be great. And she'll rejoice in the Lord. And there we are. We will rejoice that that gas is cheap. But they're not rejoicing in Alberta, are they? They're not rejoicing in parts of the United States and in Europe because what they're thinking about is this. That may be my little story, but global economics, the big story, is affecting everything. OPEC are putting the prices down. They're driving uh, the prices down maybe to affect Iran, to make a point. Maybe to poke the Russian bear, to make a point to them. It's always dangerous poking bears, you know. True? We know that because we are BC men. But it's always dangerous. And that little story may affect... Today there is a vote in Europe in Greece that if they now vote in, what will be the first far-left communist government in a European, Western European nation for... For as memory can remember, it will, it, they're talking about that decision and the reneging on the debts that will affect global economy again like it did in 2008. That decision in Greece could affect the rest of us, they tell us. That's negative. We think about that. That's why we rejoice that we have a king, a lord who's in control of all things. 
But what I'm trying to say is our small story is affected by a global story and we may not realize it, but this is exactly what Paul is communicating. He is building a big framework. And in that framework of God's great history and story of what is going on, he's building this framework and in the middle of it, he's describing it and who is he putting in the middle of God's great plan, of God's great story, of God's great framework. I'll tell you who, he's putting you and I in the middle of that story. You're part of God's story. And the doxology in the beginning of Ephesians teaches us this and he's praying, he's rejoicing and he's declaring that this is part of God's great story. So you may have come and you may feel as if your story isn't important or you have made conclusions about your story that are not correct. You've all got stories. I was on an airplane flying back from uh, Calgary on uh, Friday morning. And as I was on this airplane, um, I sat next to an older lady. Michelle was in front of me, but uh, this older lady was there next to me. And, and we hadn't talked for a while. And, and I looked at her and we started a little bit of conversation. And she says, oh, that's so nice that you're talking to me. I said, oh, that's, thank you. And she said, I, I looked at you and I thought, he's not going to talk to me. She said, what, what are you doing in Kelowna? And I said, well, I'm a pastor. She said, no, I never would have thought you were a pastor. I went, why not? What did you think I was? She said, you kind of look like a, this was her words. She's a lovely lady, a handsome ski bum who's Australian. How insulting. <laughs> Who obviously is a little bit wealthy and wouldn't talk to an old lady like me. I said, no, I'm not like that. You can't get my story from just looking at me. I am a pastor and I love people. And she goes, really? She said, I, where, where church do you pastor? I said, I pastor Willow Park Church. She says, wow. She said, I love Willow Park Church. I said, why? I said, have you been? She says, no, but I love it. I love everything about Willow Park Church. And I... I said, that's amazing. She told me a story. She promises me she's going to listen online. So there you go. And she told me a story. And she'd been to Vegas. She'd jumped off this massive tower. She's 67 years old. And she told me a wonderful story about her life. And we shared a bit and talked about religion v. relationship. And that lovely lady's story who promises me she will come one Sunday morning. So if you're here this morning, thank you. But I was amazed by the story and I was amazed by what she shared and how suddenly the view changed. God wants to change your view. And Paul was here on his knees. And he starts off in verse 3. Praise be to the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed Now, when you think of that in verse 3, and you look at this, and you see who has blessed. You see, the Christian life isn't one whereby you just follow a dull creed, or a, 
a religious process that is boring and uninteresting. He uses the words blessed in verse 3. That doesn't mean that he's blessed us with creation and we all know that. It actually means it's in the present tense. It says you live as a Christian, you are blessed every day because of God's big story. You're blessed. And if you don't feel blessed because of God's great story this morning, can I encourage you to re-engage with God's great story? Because whether you're just on the edge of church, or whether you're coming back to Christ, or whether you're not a Christian, I want to say to you that when you lean into Christianity, it is the greatest blessing you can experience in your life. For your family, for your marriage, for your life. It's not a distant blessing. It is a present tense blessing that God wants to be with you in all heavenly realm. Simply put, heavenly realm, it means you get a bit of heaven's glory at work in your life right now. You've got hope. You've got an aim for your life. You've got the treasures of God's heaven engaging in who you are. You've got citizenship of that. And he starts to choose this. And the verses here from verse 3 to verse 6 deal with the Father. But there is one word that stands out in the text here. There's three actually, but they all relate. What are the three words? They're amazing words. The three words are chosen, loved, and adopted. You are chosen this morning. And so if the view of your prison cell, you can't see beyond the wall. I want you to know that you are chosen, that you are loved, that God knows your little story. Before the very foundation of the world, God knows us through Christ Jesus. He looks at us and he loves us. Isn't that good news? Shouldn't that change the way we look at our life? Shouldn't that change the way we think because of the love, because of the sense of who God is, because he is a father and Paul is on his knees in that prison cell and his view has changed. He's looking up, he's looking out and he's seeing a loving heavenly father that cares for him. For some of us, that may seem strange. We've not had a loving father. We feel orphaned. We feel that life is tough. There are some favorite people here in Willow Park Church that I love. I love everybody, but some real favorite people. Those are those families who have taken on the calling to adopt children who are orphaned. Isn't that a beautiful thing? I always, when I'm with them and I talk to them, I always give them a bit of a hug and I say, it's amazing, God loves adoption. Why does God, what do you mean God loves adoption? God loves adoption because he loves adopting children into his home. Because God the Father is a God of adoption. For every one of us that believes in Jesus, you have been adopted. By a loving, heavenly Father. He chose you. He loves you. He has adopted you. It was Isabella's birthday. She was 12. uh, Just before Christmas. And so we asked, what would you like to do? She, of course, wanted a sleepover with 10 other 12-year-old girls. 
a definition of hell. And... Or a definition of please go and buy some earplugs. But anyway, you've got to love 12-year-old girls because of their energy and the way they can keep talking to 4 o'clock in the morning is amazing. If you could put wires in them, you could generate enough electricity for the whole of Kelowna. Um, they're amazing. <laughs> but don't get me started on 10, 16-year-olds in your house. But... We said, okay, you want to do that? What else do you want to do, Isabella? She said, oh, Dad, we want the whole family to go to the theatre, to the movies. What do we want to see? She said, I want to see Annie. She looks and she smiles and she starts to sing from Annie and twirls. It's a hard knock life. And inside, I'm going, brilliant, great. Annie. But I'm like, Dad, you're raising girls. Come on. Not the Hobbit? No. Okay. So we went to Annie. All of us. There are six in our family, plus our Korean student. student. So there's seven. So we went there. Sat down, started to watch the new version of Annie. We all know the story of Annie. It was originally set in the 1930s, depression. And it was to do with Annie was in a tyrannical orphanage with a horrible uh, lady, drunk, horrible woman that, that, that didn't care for the children. And they would sneak out. And there one day, a multi-millionaire in the 30s adopted Little Annie, and welcomed in for kind of political reasons and looking good and so on, but then fell in love. And of course, the story is about a benevolent father figure who takes in an orphan from a home where there's no hope except nothing but pain. And I watched the whole of our family from eight years old to 48 years old. Every one of them, even our Korean student who couldn't understand a word. There we were. Transfixed by the story of adoption. It gets me every time, Annie does. Why? Because there's a story in each of your hearts that reminds you that we are all orphan children. And yet a loving, beloved, heavenly father has loved us, chosen us, and brought us to the 50th floor and the penthouse mansion and said, this is the way you need to view the world. True? And for some of us, we need to reaffirm the fact that God has chosen us, that he's adopted us. Your story isn't small to God. God cares about your story. So no more pity parties. Look up and see the view. Something different. The second thing is this. In him, verse 7, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with his riches of God's grace that has lavished on us. This is Jesus. God the Father adopted us. Jesus has done what? Through his sacrifice on the cross, he has forgiven us. We are forgiven people. He has won the victory. 
He has forgiven us. You notice in the text, if you brought your Bibles, this phrase comes up again and again. It's a really interesting phrase. It is in him. In him. In him. In him we receive this. In him we have this. In him. What does this in him really mean? It means in him, the Messiah, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Now we won't understand this from our Western thinking. But when it talks about the king, and a king wins a victory, or the citizens of that kingdom benefit from the spoils of war because that ancient king had won that great victory, that land, taken that city, therefore all his Sons and daughters, all the citizens of that nation benefit from the treasures and the victory and the spoil of what the king has won. Literally, an ancient king would win it and in him, the rest of his nation would benefit from what that king has achieved. Think about that. In him. Your King Jesus in him, you are in him. Your King Jesus has defeated the power of sin and the shame and the feeling of blackness within your life. And he has defeated the power of sin and he has given you freedom. And in him, you enjoy the freedom of Christ and the love of God. In him, you were once condemned and considered dead and death. In fact, that's what the scripture teaches and that's what Paul is talking about. In him, before we found the king, we were dead. Dead spiritually. We were dead. But in him, the king went to the cross. He defeated death, rose on the third day. And in him, we have been given the gift of eternal life. You may not understand this if you're not a Christian, but this is the truth I want to tell you, that when you follow the Lord Jesus Christ, he promises that we will live for eternity in him. Think about it. The phrase in him, the king, also applies to the fact that there is darkness, there is an enemy. We have a foe in the world, and we'll get into that at the end of Ephesians. But in him, Jesus Christ has conquered the power of sin, death, and the devil in him. In him. Isn't that good news? Shouldn't that change your view from the window of your cell? Shouldn't that drive you on your knees and rejoice that in him he has done remarkable things? It's wonderful. It's a bit like, let me explain it this way, the story of Goliath. Before I do that, I've got a little bit of Play-Doh here. For my next point in my sermon, I wonder if anybody's a bit artistic and they could shape me a little person. We had a great person last night who did this. Anybody want to volunteer? Would you like to, anybody? Don't be shy. Oh, thank you, Scott. A round of applause for Scott. He's going to... Uh... Now, just sit, sit at the front and just uh, for this next amazing point, uh, I am going to ask you to craft a little f- figure. No pressure. Last night's was brilliant. Um, <laughs> it actually made a figure of Paul praying on the knees. Yeah, I know. It was, it was absolutely magnificent. Anyway, I squashed that and now you can go again. Um, staying with Jesus for a moment. 
which actually, by the way, is a good place to stay. When you stay with Jesus for a moment, imagine it like this with the king in him. It's a bit like the story and great theologian N.T. Wright puts it this way. He says, remember the story of Goliath and the little boy came forward who was ordained to be king of Israel. And he came forward and he took that stone and he defeated the giant and the giant fell. And in him, in David, all of Israel got freedom, correct? In him. Of course, it was a long time until David became the glorious ruling king of the great empire of of David's reign. But in him, Israel gained victory. And that's very much our journey as well. Christ has defeated the giants in our lives. And Christ has defeated, as king, those things that come against us in him. And here the giant has fallen. And one day a glorious kingdom shall come. And we will reign with the glorious return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're waiting for that, aren't we? And you can't get away from as Paul's on his knees praying and For those of you who may not understand the Old Testament, but you've gone and seen the new movie Exodus, or you've seen a far better version, which was the original version. But you've gone and you've seen that it's a story where the father looked at the Israelites in slavery and adopted them and called them out. And there put the blood... There of the Passover, which means redemption, and they were adopted and brought out of their slavery towards the promised land. And there they are moving in redemption, which is in the Passover, which actually just means they have got freedom, they are forgiven, and they're traveling on a journey, and they're heading towards the promised land that God has given them. See, Paul is always thinking about the Exodus in his writing. And you're that person. You were in slavery, and you've come and had the experience of Jesus, and now you're traveling in the Passover. You say, but how can all this be real? He's changing his view, but how can this really be real? Well, the next session, if we talked about God the Father, God the Son, let's talk about God the Holy Spirit. Look at the verse here. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth. The gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal. The promise of the Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing an inheritance until the redemption of those who God's possession to the praise of his glory. So you think about this. Scott, how did you get on? Could I have your little figure now? Okay. Thank you very much. That's great. There he is. Thank you. You have successfully created the Incredible Hulk. Um, Very good. Thank you, Scott. Scott is available for art classes after the service. (laughs) So, what is actually saying here? It's saying that 
we as human beings have been loved, chosen and adopted through Jesus Christ. He's then saying that all of our shame and all of our pain is forgiven. And then he's saying you receive Christ. God comes down and pops a deposit in your life. A a fingerprint if you like. A seal. A seal. In the ancient world, the many uses of seals. But a seal was put on a document to say who it came from, who it belonged, and to give the property of that person. See, when you become a Christian, God comes and he puts the seal of his fingerprint on you, of your Holy Spirit. You have the seal of God on your life. Maybe you're not a Christian, you've always wondered, there's got to be more. There's got to be more. I don't feel complete. I feel empty. There's got to be a better way. I'm not finding it. If this is what the world is all about, that I'm being pushed around by global story, there has to be a bigger story, a better view. Ladies and gentlemen, there is a bigger story. There is a better story. And that is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ, came to adopt you, came to love you, came to forgive you, and came to give you a deposit of the Holy Spirit. And so when we understand this, it changes. It's a guarantee. Now, come on, we understand guarantees, down payments, Houses are starting to sell here in Cologne, I've noticed. Things are starting to happen. Stay there. All of this is wonderful, but you know when you put a deposit down, it guarantees, in theory, that that property, that real estate is yours. It's exactly the same. God puts the Holy Spirit in you, guaranteeing you that the real estate of the coming kingdom, if you like, of the glories of heaven is yours. And you've got a down payment that says that's where you're going to go and live. For the Israelites, they came out of slavery because of the Father's love. They were redeemed by the Lamb and then they had a pillar of cloud And fire to follow in their lives towards the promise. You have the Holy Spirit within you to go towards God. Will you change your view? Will you realize that your little story bumping around is part of God's massive framework and story. And that God loves you. In March, we were back home visiting family in England and uh, we went to London for the day and we arrived at London and we know London pretty well and we went to the London Eye. You familiar with the London Eye? 450 feet high, it's like a Ferris wheel and you walk into it and there's pods, there are 32 pods, 450 feet high. And 20 of you go in a pod, it's run by an airline, and you go up slowly, you see the whole of London, and you come down. Fantastic. 
All the kids and all of us jumped in. We got the cousins with us and into the pod and off we went and we saw the beautiful view. If you look hard enough, you can see the outlines of the original London city 2,000 years ago when the Romans made it a city. Look really hard. But then you look uh, to the right and you see what's called the London Gherkin, which is the massive Lloyd's Tower in the financial district. You can see... The Houses of Parliament, Big Ben. You can see Buckingham Palace. You can. There you could see Buckingham Palace where the Queen lives. And she was putting out her washing. And I could see everything. And Mary Poppins floated past. It was amazing. That's London for you. And we're surrounded by people who weren't from London all over the world. They didn't know. And they were asking us questions, thinking we were Londoners and we could say anything. What's that building? I just made it up. It was great. But on the floor of the pod, there were two, two big footprints, massive metal footprints. And it read these words, for best view, stand on these footprints. So you stand on them. And you're in that position, and you get the best view for the best photograph of one of the largest cities in the world. This is what Paul's telling you. For the best view, stand on this footprint. Stand on God the Father who adopted you. Stand on God the Son who forgave you. And God the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, if you like, who fills you. Get the best view in the right place. And the best view comes through the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's writing this in prison. You're in prison, maybe. Life's tough. You don't have to see the prison walls. You can see the big story. Don't let this world's story and hinge you with God's great story. Don't be afraid of anything in this world because we have a King of kings and a Lord of lords that is with his people. Get on the spot and get the best of you in your life.